This is the Business of College Sports podcast with your host, the founder of businessofcollegesports.com, Christy Dosh. Find her on Twitter and Instagram at sportsbizmiss. Welcome to the Business of College Sports podcast. I'm your host, Christy Dosh, the Sports Biz Miss. And I have a podcast that's a little bit different for you today. And it's different because when we originally recorded this audio, we were not recording a podcast. In fact, I was chatting with the president and CEO of the NAIA, Jim Carr, and I was only recording for my own reporting purposes. I was working on a piece that I wanted to write for Forbes because the NAIA passed their name, image, and likeness legislation last October, and they've already seen student athletes start to sign deals and make money on their name, image, and likeness. So I wanted to check in with Jim and find out more about how they were able to move so quickly and what it's looked like so far as student athletes have started landing these deals. And after I got done recording it and listened back to it and was writing my piece, I thought, so stupid, I should have asked Jim if he would be on the podcast. But we already had this great conversation. And if I just cut out a little bit of the sort of casual chit chat we were having at the beginning that no one would have been interested in, that it would still make a great podcast. So I asked permission from Jim to turn this into a podcast. The only thing I've removed is some random conversation we had at the beginning of our phone call, just getting to know each other a little bit better and uh, you know, talking about all sorts of things unrelated to NIL. But otherwise, I have left this intact as the conversation we had. The caveat I'll give is this isn't Probably the way I would have structured it if we were doing a podcast interview, I probably would have kept my questions and my commentary a little bit shorter. So it's a little bit different because I wasn't recording it thinking that anyone else was ever going to hear it. (laughs) However, I did think it was so interesting that I decided that I wanted to share it with you all. And a big thank you to Jim for being game for letting me release this audio as a podcast. I also have some great information that I got from Chloe Mitchell, who is an NAIA student athlete who was just killing it when it comes to monetizing her name, image, and likeness. She's even co-founded a company called Playbooked, where other NAIA student athletes are pairing up with brands and getting paid for their name, image, and likeness. She gave me some amazing stats about the work that they've done so far. Those are all going in my piece for Forbes, which I will link down in the show notes. I'm going to be releasing this at about the same time that I'm releasing the piece on Forbes, so I'll make sure that that all gets linked up so that you can read all of the commentary from Chloe as well. But just wanted to give a little introduction to this and explain why maybe it sounds a little different than some of my other podcasts. And also it's a little shorter, but I do think that uh, Jim Carr provided us with some interesting information about the NAIA and how they came about passing their name, image, and likeness legislation and how that's going so far. So I hope you enjoy this. Without further ado, here is my interview with the president and CEO of the NAIA, Jim Carr. Uh, I remember first hearing the news that you all had just, you know, got your NIL legislation right through and it was ready to go. And um, I I think that's one interesting part of it I wanted to ask you about it. And I have ideas about this, but I'm curious to see what you say. Um, Why do you think you all were able to 
get that done what seems like on the outside as relatively quickly and we see the ncaa has had so many struggles i think for some valid reasons um right. especially legal reasons being a lawyer myself but why why do you think it was easier for you all to get something in place and we're still kind of waiting on them yeah i, I think two primary reasons i think they're, they're more than two but um you know first and foremost i think the nai has always been about trying to figure out what's best for the student athlete and um, so when we four or five years ago started talking about, you know, why is it that student athletes aren't in the same position as other students on campus with talents? You know, if you're a great trumpet player, you can go out and play gigs on the weekend and make money and you know, do other things to you know, give trumpet lessons or whatever. But student athletes couldn't do those similar kinds of things. So that's kind of how it started. And then um, I think the second reason is if we're honest about it. We don't have some of the same complexities that the NCAA does and we don't have you know, whether it's Auburn or Florida or Alabama, our schools aren't going to line up 85 football players and pay them thousands of dollars to sign autographs. And it's just not, so you don't have those economic pressures that you have, at least in the power five conferences, which bring on all kinds of um, either legitimate concerns or possibly paranoia from certain folks that you know, just think it's going to send the whole system spiraling out of control, which I, I think there will be some chaos, but I, I personally think the, the free markets and plenty of complex industries figure out a way to do things. So I, I think it, it'll work out in the long run. Now, is this something that, I guess, how did this get started on the NAIA side? Like who um, sort of championed this from the beginning? Were, were there student athletes who were being really vocal about it? Was this just something that came internally or from coaches or how did that ball get rolling? Do you remember? Yeah, you know, I think, I don't know that there was any you know, one kind of aha moment or one you know, specific catalyst, but over the years, our, our members have raised challenges around, um, you know, I think especially in the areas of things like, you know, a, a baseball or softball pitcher not being able to give pitching lessons to the kids in the community and just things that you know, really had very little, if anything, to do with recruiting advantages and things. And so I think as an association, kind of a grassroots effort, again, four or five years ago to say, you know, I think some of these traditional rules or these longstanding rules just don't really make a lot of sense. And so we we started to, in some ways, kind of knock them down one at a time. We started with, you know, allowing friends and family to, to provide gifts and do things that um, were really kind of outside of NIL, but to loosen up kind of those um, restrictions or barriers around things that, again, had really little to do with recruiting advantages. And then with that started to ease in towards, well, there's really no reason that a, a student at the NAI level shouldn't be able to take advantage of name, image, and likeness for us, you know, talents that, that are for reasons that don't really apply anymore restricted under most athletics associations. Has there ever at the NAIA level been, you know, at the NCAA level, we see a lot of infractions cases that deal with improper benefits. Has that been a real issue at the NAIA level? I, I mean, the, the short answer is no, it hasn't been a, a major issue, but we, we've had some of those from time to time, you know, where a, a coach who you know, was trying to move up the ranks and make a name for him or herself in the NAI might um, give some extra benefits to a student to, to get that person to come in. You know, we do see it at times too, where coaches just trying to help a student and they have pretty good intentions, but you know, would do things that are against the rules. So it, it does happen. We're on a somewhat of a trust-based system. Um, you know, I think even most would agree at the NCAA level, you only see a, a very small percentage of the of of cases compared to what's actually happening out there. Yeah. So it's probably, you know, there's probably more of it going out, going out there than we knew about, but we, we did have a few cases and a few folks who, who were um, 
get penalized for that. And I know that NCAA had, or I guess still has at this point, a waiver process where student athletes who were doing something unrelated to their athletic ability could apply for a waiver to be able to profit off, you know, if they wrote a book that had nothing to do with athletics or, you know, recorded a, an album with their band. And so the NCAA a while back had sent me their stats over the last five years, and they approved something like 95% of the 500 waiver requests that they'd had. Did you all have that kind of waiver process as well? Uh, not really. We we do have a process where people can always ask for exceptions to pretty much any NAIA rule. But over that same period of time where the NCAA has been doing the waiver, that's essentially about the same period of time where we we eliminated those kinds of restrictions. So we haven't had the need for those those exceptions. Those because you all were already allowing them to profit off of things that weren't related to athletics, right? That's right. We, we did that, have right? the, okay. the last restriction that we eliminated this with this past year was that um, even though they could do things that were unrelated to athletics, they could not, um, they couldn't promote themselves as a student athlete at a particular school. And so, you know, that became problematic with social media influencers and things like that, where it's really almost impossible to separate, completely separate yourself right. from the fact that you're a student athlete at, a, at an institution. So um, with that one exception, we had, you're right, we had eliminated those other restrictions a while back. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then one of the debates that has been kind of going on at the NCAA level has to do with using university and athletic department intellectual property. And it's interesting because you've got, I think, some of the bigger schools, um, you know, especially Power Five schools who sounds like are not going to let their student athletes use, you know, wear a, a gator sweatshirt or whatever. Um, however, I then started hearing from a lot of kind of mid-majors and definitely into division two and division three that they say they are going to allow their student athletes to use university and athletic department logos or wear gear in pictures and videos and that kind of stuff because they actually think it could be brand building for the university or the athletic department. Um, right. So is that a discussion that happens at all at your level? I think the discussion is happening again, the, you know, the economics make it so that it's probably not at, at quite the frequency that you see at the NCA. And, and under our rules, our schools are, it's really, they have the flexibility and autonomy to decide how they want to deal with that. And so they could, you know, the, the school can't go out and, and uh, serve as an agent basically for the student. But if, if a student athlete wanted to um, promote the local you know, restaurant and wear a, a polo shirt with the school logo in there. As long as the school gave them permission to do that, they, they would be allowed to do it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, oh, there was something else I had. And I think in talking with my friends at NCA, I think, you know, then the question becomes, does the, does the restaurant, in my example, need to pay both the student and the school? Right. Um, and, but that's, again, a, a negotiation. Kind of on a school-by-school school basis. among the parties, yeah. What about the companies we've seen coming in at the NCAA level, like Influencer and Open Doors and those kind of companies? Are they coming in also at your level? Yeah, we've had a lot of discussions with them, and we've really held off at um, entering into an exclusive partnership, really any a partnership with any of them. And um, we, there's also an interesting one, one of our student athletes who you may have seen up at Aquinas, a, a women's volleyball player. She and her dad started a um, a company as well. I think it's called Open Book. Is that right? Or Play, uh, uh, Playbook. Playbook. Yeah. Playbook. They've done an yeah. awesome job getting publicity. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, so we, we're talking with them as well. And um, but we're, I've really been trying to talk with our staff and our leadership groups to make sure that we 
that we understand what our priorities are and where we need the help. For example, you know, the NCA is looking for a third party administrator because of the complexities of their system that they think they're going to need to build out. And we, we don't have that same need. So while open doors, I think would be a great partner to do that. That's probably not where our biggest needs are. And so, but then is it more to help the NAI find um, you know, maybe sponsors that we could help tie in with student athletes or is it really just to educate and help student athletes find um, endorsement opportunities. So we're still doing some work on that and we'll probably end up with either one or more partners in the fall, yeah. but just wanted to take our time and make sure we were, we were doing it in the right way. And why is, why does it look a little different on the compliance level with the NCAA's need to have, you know, some sort of complex software track this? Is it just the, the volume, the number of athletes and the number of deals they think they're going to have versus what you're projecting? Yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, they're, they're certainly, you know, the, Trevor Lawrence is going to have a lot more people. I know he's going now, but a guy like him is going to have more people, more companies coming at him than you know our star quarterback at, at Morningside College, for example. So there, there will be um, some complexities that will will mean they need a, um, a more complex system. But I also think it's kind of the difference in the way the NEI and the NCA operate. You know, they, there's they're, they're we're not in person, so I can't show you sort of how thick their rule book is compared to, you know, compared to ours, but you know, they're, we just don't feel the need to always pass the rules and to make sure that we track on everything that our students are doing and, and getting. And so um, we are, we're not putting in a, a requirement that there is a form that students need to, to fill out. Part of mostly that's just because we want to understand what the market is out there and what our students are doing, but we're not, we're not going to have a complex compliance operation. So we, we just don't need that. Exactly what I asked Brad. I was like, "What kind of deals are they getting?" Like, I wanted to, <laughs> I want to know what it's starting to look like because um, I've been talking to some social media marketing firms that are starting to line up campaigns um, at the NCAA level and like getting ready for this July first kickoff. I live in Florida, and so there's a lot of talk, particularly here, because of Florida's law going into effect in July, and it feels like there's going to be this like onslaught of deals that's going to happen, and not even necessarily you know, five and six figure deals, but lots of hundred dollars to post this 50 bucks post that, you know, just a lot of, right. a lot happening yeah. and that it's all going to happen at once. And I don't know that that's really how it'll all play out, but it feels like that talking to people right now. Yeah. I, I, it, it seems like social media and kind of those types of platforms and avenues are where most of the activity or a lot of the activity will, will happen. I'm sure you'll see some traditional sponsorships, but I would think those would be fairly limited to the top probably football players and men's and women's basketball players. Maybe, you know, might be some other sports, but yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that the floodgates are just going to completely open. I, I do think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how donors, of, especially in SEC country that you're familiar with, but other rabid fans, how they, how they come at this with, with each school. And of course the major schools are worried that if they're starting to direct those dollars towards individual students, they're not going to direct as many dollars towards the schools. I, I don't know if that's, way it'll play out or not but it, it could I have heard all kinds of horror stories about boosters already uh one football coach told me that he had a booster who was running around making promises to recruits that he doesn't even want on the team <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. I, he's already off our list and this booster's running around making him promises <laughs> yeah. well and it, it, you've probably dealt with coaches and administrators and athletics enough to know that they most most don't like losing control and so that's part of I think a big worry in this what are you all, and maybe this is something that's just happening on a, a school by school basis, but there's been a lot of talk too at the NCAA level about 
all this need for education for student athletes and the different things they might encounter as they go into this? Is that something you're just, you know, leaving up to the schools or what does that sort of educational component look like so far? Yeah, I mean, ultimately it'll be left up to the schools, but I do think that's going to be one of the the first things we ask a partner to help us with. And, and, you know, we want to take our time and see how it develops organically first. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, especially with, again, we don't have the dollars involved, but with student athletes who are out potentially um, negotiating agreements or arranging deals, we want to make sure that they they understand that. And, you know, for me, it's not that much different than if they're, you know, negotiating, negotiating for a place to work outside of school or, you know, the, it's kind of typical business deals, but the more we can help them to understand that and make sure that they understand how to deal with their administration on their campus and what things might be appropriate and not appropriate would, would all be good educational things for us to help our students with. I'm doing a, I'm actually putting together a post right now for next week. I, I, I get offers in my social media because of my following. And so I'm in a couple of Facebook groups with I would say I'm about term 40, younger than me, female influencers who are more like in their 20s and uh, probably out of college, but not by much. And I started screenshotting every time I saw one of them post something that I was like, ooh, like student athletes need to understand that that's a scam or that that, you know, you got to remember to ask this or what. So I started kind of screenshotting all this stuff happening in the group where women were like, I just got this DM. What does this mean? And then right. I went and asked all the women for permission to use it in this piece I'm going to put together. And so I, cause I, most of my audience is administrators, uh, mm-hmm. mostly division one, although I get some division two and division three, but mostly division one administrators and just showing them like, this is the stuff that's going to end up in your student athletes DMS. And, you know, here's the stuff that I know from getting it myself is scammy or this sounds really good, but the next DM they get is going to have this you know, and kind of right. showing real world examples of what the, what the DMs look like from, cause brands aren't going to through agents. And a lot of times they're not going through marketing agencies. They're just DMing, you know, these young, mostly women on social media. So I've been putting together a post for a few weeks now with kind of all the red flag ones I could find just as examples of here's some stuff to tell your student athletes to look out for. Right. No, I, I think that's great. I'd, I'd love to see that when you when you get that out there, because I think yeah, uh, that along my, my daughter, I guess, has a little bit of a following on TikTok. And so it's not just for athletes, but for, you know, she's because she's not an athlete. And, and so I think we're all kind of learning this together, especially in the so- social media area. But athletes in particular, I think, might be a little more vulnerable just because it's all coming at them brand new. A big thank you again to Jim Carr for joining us here on the podcast. Like I mentioned in my introduction, when we recorded this, it was just an interview for a piece I was writing for Forbes, and Jim graciously allowed me to turn this very raw audio into a podcast so you all could listen in on our conversation. So if it sounded a little different than our normal podcast, that's why, but I really wanted to share this with you all. As I also mentioned at the beginning, I also was able to interview Chloe Mitchell an NAIA student athlete who is just killing it when it comes to monetizing her name, image, and likeness. All of that material is in my Forbes piece. I'm going to link that up down in the show notes so you can read through all of that as well and see the incredible work that her and her team over at Playbooked are doing with NAIA student athletes. If you've got any questions or comments, you can always DM me on Twitter at sportsbizmiss. You can email me, christy at christydosh.com. I love hearing from you, and I look forward to being back here with you again next week.